This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Our goal at Everyday Tech is to keep your technology not only working, but working for you. I'm the host, Abram Nanny, and you can join me and my friends Wednesday mornings at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Or search Everyday Tech on your favorite podcasting app or download the MPB Public Media app. From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. So many of Mississippi's wild animals are elusive, some you never see and some you rarely see. But our subject for today's show can be found daily in all parts of the state. They're small, brown or gray, and athletic little creatures. Yep, you guessed it. We're going to talk about Mississippi squirrels today. And we're joined in studio by Rick Hamrick, who's the Small Game Program Coordinator at the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. Just a reminder that if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursday, it repeats every Saturday morning at 6. So good morning. We'll start with uh, Libby, as we usually do this morning. Good morning, Libby. What are you seeing around your yard these days? Good morning, Kevin. Uh, it's cold out there, and um, <laughs> I, but I have been seeing squirrels, and I think all of mine are gray squirrels. I haven't seen a fox squirrel yet, but I'll keep looking. And a lot of birds. Um, i got several friends, including Joe McGee, called with suggestions for... Um, doing things for animals, uh, particularly birds in the cold, cold weather, and also um, about another caller that I'll mention. I guess I'll do that one first. Um, there was a, a caller that had caught a very small lizard on a sticky trap. Right. And she said it looked like an alligator. So uh, Emily and I started going to fence lizard. And then after the show, we talked about it, and then we got a text from Joe saying, I wish I'd asked the caller what color it was, but if it was light, white, almost almost a translucent little animal, we were thinking that it's a Mediterranean gecko because those are the things that are most likely to get caught in a sticky trap in your house. So that would make a lot of sense that it was a Mediterranean gecko. So if that caller is listening, that's probably what she had. She can look that up and see what they look like. All right. And then on to the um, winter food for birds. You remember we've talked before with Joe about his Marvel meal. Right. And uh, it's a peanut butter, one cup of peanut butter, one cup of vegetable shortening, four cups of cornmeal, a cup of, of whole wheat flour, and a handful of sunflower seeds. And it's, it's a stiff mixture, but you mix that up, and basically you're making your own suet. Mm-hmm. which is a little fresher and maybe in a better, you can form it into little blocks and hang it around like you do suet. You can put it in a suet feeder. Or um, what we've done successfully is just kind of smear it on the trees and the cracks of the bark and that kind of stuff and um, have put a little on the edges of feeders and things, and birds do seem to love it and a lot of things like it. I noticed that the Bluebird people had a, a website. They talked about almost the exact same formula, and they added a little bacon dripping to it. Uh, that would make it also attractive to um, squirrels and mice and rats more so, I would think. So probably be careful adding a, a meat product into it. 
All right. So that should help the birds out in this cold weather, although we we have survived cold snap number one. Um, It's supposed to get a little bit colder this weekend again. I don't think it's to be quite as low as it was earlier uh, last weekend, and we can hope maybe that that's – that's our Arctic blast for the for the uh, for the winter time, and we can get to be. Yeah, it, it's kind of funny when you sort of long for. Well, to me, even thirty didn't <laughs> feel feel so bad after being out there in ten degree weather. So hopefully, uh, warmer weather is is certainly on the way. You know, I think we kind of found out how lucky we are that we don't have this kind of winter all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep, because it's you're right. Uh, it, I, Bad enough to have to worry about it like for a weekend, but uh, for several months, it could be kind of grating on the nerves, I would imagine. Yeah, some people, this is normal, and I guess some people get used to it and love it, especially if they have a lot of snow. Oh, and remember to get water out for the birds, and um, not a lot of easy. They do make little uh, water pan heaters and things for bird baths. But um, if you don't have one of those, what, we just keep water boiling on the wood stove all the time and every now and then cool it off just enough to put it out there. And the birds have been enjoying it. They've come into our water a lot. Very good. As always, we're joined by Dr. Troy Major from his clinic in Jackson. So good morning, Dr. Major. Had a couple of questions about uh, puppies this morning for you. First of all, yes, good morning. Um, so if someone got a puppy, what are some just basic instructions or tips about how to handle uh, small dogs? Right. Did they say what size, what what breed? Just in, in general? Yeah, in general, uh, several things you need to be aware of. Uh, even in the best of families, probably there's some parasites, intestinal worms. So that needs to be taken care of. You need to be in communication with your vet. If the puppy's five, six weeks old, uh, certainly it should be eating pretty well. And I always recommend that if somebody's giving somebody a puppy or selling it, that it needs to be eating for 10 to 14 days before you let it go. I'm talking about because, you know, a lot of times if it gets to a new home, it's a little culture shock, if you will, and the puppy may not eat. So especially the smaller breeds like Yorkies and uh, Chihuahuas, they've got to eat uh, pretty regularly or they will go into what's called hypoglycemic shock or low blood sugar. So taking care of intestinal parasites, first shots should be started as far as vaccinations at about six weeks of age. We recommend uh, three-week intervals uh, for a total of uh, at least three to four shots uh, ending up at about 14, 15 weeks. So make sure that that puppy is eating and drinking. A lot of times we think our puppies are not drinking, uh, but it takes them a little while to get used to drinking water out of a bowl, for example. Uh, One thing back to the suet, uh, Libby, I don't know if you have that problem, but raccoons love that as well. So, and they can decimate uh, a suet feeder if they try. So that's one thing to remember. but it was racket yes. you can't get to it if you can. This is creature yeah, coming. Yeah. yeah, we have had our suet stolen before. <laughs> exactly. 
This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. If you have a question for Dr. Major this morning or if you have a question about squirrels, we've got some open phone lines ready for your phone calls. You can email the show by sending it to animals at mpbonline.org. So, Dr. Major, you talked about the vaccinations and shots that little puppies need sort of spaced out over, the, over several weeks. Uh, what about uh, some of the things that you look for in general when someone brings in a puppy for its first visit? What are some of the signs or things that you look for as a vet? You know, your vet should actually take the stethoscope and listen uh, to the chest and heart, uh, which obviously the heart is in the chest, but listen to that. Uh, occasionally we'll pick up an abnormality that needs to be followed up. Uh, that would be one thing. The other thing, a lot of puppies will have a hernia, uh, so need to look at his uh, underside, uh, sometimes an umbilical hernia or a uh, inguinal hernia. Uh, these things can be fairly readily seen if it's there. Uh, the other things that I always look for, uh, not knowing the history of a puppy or even a cat, check for ear mites, uh, look in the ears, uh, be sure that there's nothing there that would indicate ear mites, uh, and also look at the skin, thinking in terms of any type of uh, infestation of fleas and or uh, possibly mange, which uh, puppies can have. So a good thorough exam. Uh, some breeds you really need to check their patellas, uh, just even a six or seven week age puppy, just to be sure that everything is okay there. So your veterinarian will do this and look for structures or structural differences or some abnormality. And certainly that's a good thing to have a good physical each time the puppy comes in for uh, vaccination. So would it help if uh, in treating a puppy if you had also treating its uh, mom or dad? Certainly. Uh, if, if, in fact, you have, let's say, uh, are planning to have a uh, breeding, uh, I'd recommend that the, both the male and female would be checked for intestinal parasites uh, prior to uh, breeding. Uh, certainly, a lot of times we don't have that option. Uh, that maybe they, it's an unwanted breeding or an uh, uh, animal comes up that's pregnant, which we see a fair amount of time. So that's, that's important to, uh, if, if you have the opportunity to have a good physical exam of the, of the mother, especially. Uh, that way, a lot of times you can avoid problems with the puppies. One thing I will mention, uh, we have seen a fair amount of infected uteruses, in other words, pyometra, which is uh, one of the things that can happen, especially in uh, older females that have been coming in heat over the years. And we said, well, if we're not going to have puppies, we're not going to worry about having her spade. But it can reach a critical uh, condition. And uh, we had one recently that had at least three and a half to four pounds of uterus, which was full of blood and pus. I know that's gross, but it can be life-threatening in that situation, especially in an older dog. So talk to your veterinarian if you haven't had your uh, female spayed. Probably a good idea to talk to him, uh, him or her and talk about that. So we actually have a squirrel question on the line or ready to go. So we're going to say good morning to Josh in Clinton. Josh, you're on the air. Go ahead. 
Hey. What's your question hey. for us? My question is about the squirrels and oh. why they move so jerky and quickly all the time, like their necks and their legs. Yeah, Rick, it does seem like they kind of hop around when you see them. They look to me like they're very nervous creatures. Well, they, they are <laughs> to a degree. <laughs> um, you know, you will see squirrels reacting to, you know, possibly some threat. You know, there's constantly things that are going to shake them up a little bit. A hawk flies over, you know, even a, a cat or something on the ground there. You will see them, you know, react to that, potentially a lot of vocalization sometimes, warning others in the area and, um, you know, you just see squirrels. They are a little herky-jerky sometimes, maybe. The, you know, you'll see them scratching. You know, they have a number of parasite-type critters that get on them, like anything else out there in the wild. Um, you know, there's just a, a lot of activity, and they are just kind of a high-energy animal anyway. They just are typically moving around a good bit when they are, are out and about. And so it's hard to say what you know what maybe influence an animal all the time but um but again they are they are relatively high strung kind of <laughs> kind of animals out there they are kind of kind of a nervous critter and you know so yeah there's there's any number of reasons they could be kind of kind of bouncing around there does the, does the cold weather affect how fast they move um, I don't know that it necessarily affects how fast they move. Um, you know, they may actually limit their movements a little bit more, like a lot of things in the cold, trying to kind of conserve energy. Um, but, um, but as far as it actually slowing them down that much, unless they were just starving or something, um, really, really shouldn't affect them as far as their, their movements necessarily. Let's uh, stay on the phone lines here for a moment. Next off to Carroll County we go. Walker has called in today. Good morning, Walker. Go ahead. Good morning. Uh, I'm regularly feeding the birds and the deer in my area here. I'm in McCarley. Uh, mostly I'm feeding the deer corn to keep them away from eating my monkey grass. But uh, they didn't finish the corn that I put out uh, last night, and I'm wondering, it is frozen. Is, this, is there a problem with deer eating corn that is frozen, like with their teeth? Rick, uh, Libby, do you know any thoughts on that one? Rick would probably be better to answer than that than me, but I did not think that that, that would matter at all. No, it, it really probably shouldn't. Um, um, they're going to get something in their mouth. It's probably going to thaw out a little bit there. I don't think that's necessarily anything you need to worry about. Okay, well, I'm not too worried about it. But it's odd. I've uh, had bird feeders out, but now that we have sort of this uh, inch of snow covered with ice, I've been putting out the, just you know scattering bird seed in, in piles around the drive. And uh, it appears that they really like the, uh, the uh, sunflower seeds and are leaving the rest of the seeds uh, intact. I guess if they get hungry enough, they'll come back for that. But uh, it appears that what attracts them is the sunflower seeds. All right. Who, who knew they were such picky eaters? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they can't be. I found that true year-round at my as house. Well, but uh, it's still sitting there. We'll see what happens. All right, uh, Walker, thanks for the call. Libby, what were you saying? Oh, I was going to say sunflower seed is usually their very favorite food, and most things, most of the time I find that sunflower seed is what disappears first. And sometimes other things don't get eaten at all. It kind of depends on what kind of a, a mix you bought. 
All right. And just as an aside, as a human, to me, sunflower seeds are the worst. You expend a lot of energy for some tiny little <laughs> seed, and I've never been one able to put, put a pour a whole mouthful in my mouth and swish them around and do that. But it, it seems like a lot of work for a tiny little seed. But, hey, apparently it's tasty. So, Walker, thanks for your call. Let's stay on the phone lines here. We've got some early action on our phones. Next, it's going to be Jim, who calls us in from Jackson. Good morning, Jim. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Good morning. What is it about uh, my house that makes it attractive for squirrels to come into the attic? That's a difficult question to answer, I guess. Um, It does seem like some houses maybe get get singled out a little more than others. Um, Obviously, one of the first things we try to to encourage folks, if they can, is to seal up any kind of holes. Um, It's harder said than done sometimes, and squirrels are very uh, persistent chewers and as far as if they can find a little hole they can start they will a lot of times persistently try to enlarge it and get in uh you know they're looking kind of for sheltered areas um much like kind of the hollow parts of trees you know that big open attic area that's kind of kind of to themselves and dark there they're they're prone to get in there they got the insulation and stuff that they might kind of make a little nest in and so it's kind of a, a favorable environment for them to want to get in unfortunately it's um it's a, a pest problem a lot of times for us when they actually get into the house. But, um, you know, it's hard to say what's <clears throat> what's maybe attracting them to a specific place. It could be anything from tree cover or something there that's allowing them to get a little easier access. It's just, just um, a number of things. Um, of course, they will run across power lines to, to get into a spot they want to get to. And so, uh, you know, it's just prevention and and then once they're in there you know trying to get them out and then get holes sealed up sometimes we have to use some some metal or something there that kind of prevent that chewing and re-entry and so the squirrels can be a a a real problem there once they start getting into buildings and then there may be some some things where if they've been in there before they may try to get back there Um, worst case is maybe they they have some young inside an enclosed area like that and then we kind of got an issue with them um really wanting to get back there if they've got any young in there they're just really going to be persistent to try to get back there to those those young and so uh, a number of things that could be going on there but uh, definitely a definitely a problem unfortunately i don't have a good solution necessarily to to prevent that completely but um but yeah it can be a real problem and uh, jim i know we've a couple of times had on the air uh, a, a critter catcher so there are folks out there that specialize in helping you uh, get rid of of things when they get in your house so if you're having some issue with squirrels in the attic might be a good idea to maybe just do a quick internet search and find one because i know there are some here in the central mississippi area so appreciate your call this is creature comforts on mpb think radio we're visiting today with uh, rick hamrick he is uh, the uh, small game program coordinator at mdwfp and we're talking about squirrels today we got a busy start so we're going next to Kapaya county looks like another pest squirrel question glenda what do you have for us Hi. Um, I continuously have squirrels getting under my vehicles, and they've chewed up some wires, which I've had to have repaired. Um, And someone told me to spray peppermint oil under my hood, which I've been doing, but it doesn't last. And I was just curious to know if y'all would have um, something I can do to keep them at bay. Unfortunately, I don't have any real good um, alternatives there. I mean, there's a number of those deterrents you might could try. Um, 
maybe something with a red pepper or something as well that could be an irritant to them. Um, again, the peppermint oil, if you've tried that with some some amount of success, um, you know, a lot of that stuff is just going to be frequent reapplication if it does work. And there's plenty of stuff probably for sale out there that does not work. <laughs> um, okay. But but yeah, it's uh, they, they're they're pesky that way. They um they're like they're rodents and so you know you could have rats doing the same thing as well um they like to chew for whatever reason rodents seem to like to chew on wiring <laughs> um and so yeah i mean squirrels will do the same thing they'll they'll chew on some of that wiring to to kind of wear their teeth down and just i don't know maybe even some 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 other reason they do some of that but yeah they can be a real pest with that, but unfortunately, I don't have a real good uh, solution other than maybe trying to exclude them some way in you know enclosed area to keep your car. That's not an option for everybody, but um, yeah, unfortunately, I don't have a real good reason other than to try to try to uh, continue using some of those repellents, maybe that that would try to deter them for a while and just keep keep reapplying. All right, now I have a question myself back here. Um, so. We we mentioned later in the show if we get to it, uh, talk about squirrel season and stuff. But in these instances where people where they're harassing people like this, are they considered nuisance animals like that? Um, the gray squirrel and fox squirrel are a little bit different. Um, they do not fall under the nuisance classifications, and so because they are classified as game animals, they you know are, are more have more protection offered to them. I guess um, you know kind of like deer or whatever. They're um, whenever they're causing pest problems you can't necessarily just go out and um you know take matters into your own hands you know legally anyway so um so they they do fall under the game classification and so they are are protected in that way as far as um you know you would need special permits or that that sort of thing and so that's where the um pest type pros come in they they are permitted or should be you know when they're dealing with a a game animal like that and so um that's typically where we kind of refer to those folks a lot of times when they're having those pest issues sometimes. But, you know, this time of year, especially we've got attics now or squirrels now in the attic and in someone's driveway garage in the car. It sounds like they're trying to find a warm place to go. It could be that. There, there, there could be a shelter thing, especially in the houses. Um, that's almost always the case. They're looking for kind of a den-type area, um, possibly in cars, but maybe, um, you know, more times than not, they may just be looking for that stuff to chew on there um, and, and also in a kind of a sheltered environment there. But, yeah, they, they do chew and gnaw a lot, and so for whatever reason, some of those parts on your cars and, and uh, wiring especially, like we mentioned there, are, are very attractive to them to chew on. And and you said they're persistent, so I imagine if they find something they like chewing on, it's going to be harder to get rid of them. Probably so, yeah. There's a lot of animals like that. They, they can find something they like, and then it's just very hard to get them off of it. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Our guest for the hour, our resident squirrel expert, is Rick Hamrick, the small game program coordinator at the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. If you missed any of today's show, you can always subscribe to the podcast. Just use your favorite podcasting app and search for Creature Comforts, or download the MPB Public Media app for your phone. That way you can listen to all the local MPB Think Radio programs on your schedule. So we've got some more calls to get to. Let's start again in Alabama. Charles is on the line with us. Good morning, Charles. Go ahead. Hey, good morning. Um, I was just going to ask uh, something about the different types of squirrels we have in the southeast. Uh, I know we have flying squirrels, 
uh, fox squirrels and the gray squirrels. And down here on the coast, I, I typically only see a fox squirrel somewhere near a pecan orchard. I never see them usually in the in the normal woods or, or uh, city parks or anywhere like that. And I'm just wondering what 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 are the different habitats for a gray squirrels and as opposed to the fox squirrels. Yeah, and that's that's getting a little bit more into my area of expertise there now. So, um, uh, yeah, the uh, some of the other things are maybe a little more challenging. That, uh, but uh, yeah, the um, the fox squirrel. The reason you're probably seeing that around those pecan orchards, and that is something we will see a good bit, maybe around pastures, agricultural fields. Um, I remember growing up in central Mississippi, we had fox squirrels on the place, but. As a lot of that um, kind of agricultural land started growing up, then they kind of started disappearing there. And um, I think that's probably what we see in a lot of areas. Of course, um, down in our south part of the state where maybe prescribed fire, um, longleaf pine restorations, a little bit more of a, an emphasis in some areas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we still have some reasonably good fox squirrel populations. We also have some in some of our kind of prairie areas and the kind of the north hills up here where there's kind of still some of that small agricultural intermix with the woodlands and so um, the fox squirrels like a little bit more open type cover Um, they have a little bit different strategy than the gray squirrel the gray squirrels that kind of more a little more skittish i'm going to jump to the trees a lot more the fox squirrel is going to get down on the ground a lot more readily a little bigger you know heavier uh, squirrel there not quite as graceful in the trees as a as a gray squirrel but uh, but they do still need some forest cover uh, as well but they will look for a little bit more of that open type country there and so that's probably you know pretty spot on there seeing them in an orchard and they will they will stray out pretty far from a from a tree you'll see them kind of out in the open a good bit more than compared to a gray squirrel and so that's probably probably the reason there. They're just they're kind of finding some of those areas that they prefer a little more. Um, you know, picking those little more open open cover. They they think that maybe their their defense mechanism is a little more visual uh, as far as being able to kind of have that broad open area to detect predators and dangers at a distance um, versus the gray squirrel that's going to maybe stick a little closer to cover and kind of jump to the trees a little quicker there. And so just a little bit different different types of habitat that the two different species use there so um definitely a, ha- a little bit of a habitat difference there between those two all right uh, charles uh, thanks for your call this is creature comforts on mpb think radio visiting today with rick hamrick and we're talking about squirrels so the fox and the gray are that's the is that the majority of squirrels we find in mississippi that's our two game species of squirrels um and then we have two subspecies of the fox squirrel um you know Folks that are maybe over this way might be a little more familiar with that than the, in our Delta region or the Alluvial Valley. Uh, we have a <clears throat> subspecies there of the fox squirrel that's maybe kind of in between the gray squirrel and the what we might refer to as the hill country fox squirrel or the Bachman's fox squirrel is, I guess, maybe the more official common name of it. But, um, you know, we've got the one that's kind of in the piney woods and the hill country. That's the one that's going to have the kind of multicolored, have the white nose and tips of the tail and you know just some different colorations a mix of black red and white um, versus the gray squirrel obviously it's kind of got that gray coloration and our delta subspecies are going to be either kind of a rusty red phase or a black color phase and so if you're people talking about black squirrels typically they're talking about that one of those um, color variations in the in the delta area of that subspecies and so so yeah, we've got those. Those are our kind of our squirrel species, and of course, someone mentioned the flying squirrel, which is not a game species, but a lot of people may think they're rare, but they are actually 
fairly common. <laughs> you know, you just don't see them a whole lot. Um, they're typically going to be more active at night, and so, you know, you just probably don't see them that much, but they are fairly common as well. So, um, And they they kind of glide as opposed to actually flying. That's correct, yeah. yes. They don't actually fly like a bird. Yeah, they're they're more of a glider, yeah. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio, visiting today with Rick Hamrick, the Small Game Program Coordinator with the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, talking about squirrels today. Back to the phone lines we go. We've had a number of people talking about uh, squirrel interactions. Maybe Preston has some advice for us. Preston from Grenada, you're on the air, so go ahead. Good morning. Uh, Yeah, I I couldn't help but uh, want to call in. Uh, A few months ago, uh, I went to my brother's funeral in Florida, and and I drove back home, and I was depressed for two days, and I was walking around the edge of my house one day, and uh, and uh, some caught my some movement caught my eye, and I squatted down, and it was a little squirrel. He fell out of a tree, and I kept talking to him, and he hopped over closer to me, and he eventually hopped in my hand. And let me tell you what: for two days, I was depressed after returning home, but the moment his furry butt it was in my hand. I was not depressed anymore. He has adopted me, and uh, I would like to tell the person that uh, had the uh, problem with squirrels eating the wiring on their car, they need to feed it somewhere away from her her, her car. Uh, by the way, uh, squirrels love peanut butter, and they love fruit of any kind, uh, seem like especially figs. Uh, so she needs to train her or train her uh her her guests to uh eat away from her car and uh, maybe she wouldn't have a problem all right uh, preston thanks for the phone call now rick i i think that's we've talked about this in other wild animal situations if you can make another area more attractive for that animal it might leave where it's being a nuisance and, and go somewhere else does that seem to make sense that could be a possibility um you know i still think there's situations where they're probably gonna going to key in on something that's maybe attractive to them again that for whatever reason that wiring and things the uh, rodents in general seem to like to chew on those things um but certainly you know anytime you can try to make something more attractive to an area that's more suitable for them that's always worth a worth a try um you know if if you've got that ability there anything you can kind of maybe enhance another another area to maybe try to give them more of what they need than maybe they would deter away from that a little bit but that's maybe not necessarily always going to be be exactly the the solution but but it's certainly worth a try now is it legal to have a squirrel as a pet it is actually not legal to keep a uh, gray squirrel or fox squirrel in captivity Uh, again because like we mentioned before they, they are classified as game animals and so really the only legal way you can possess those is through legal harvest or scientific permits or something like that that's you know a more special type thing and so so actually owning those species as a pet is not not legal so um of course definitely that they're going to be better off in the wild you know a lot of people i know it's just difficult to kind of kind of leave some of those animals maybe that are on the ground sometimes there but most of the time once you bring them into a captive situation a lot of times you know they're the chances of being able to be released again into the wild really diminish, and so that's what we try to encourage. Uh, and in a lot of cases, sometimes you know there may be some young or something that are that are out there. You think they're in distress, but you know, 
the the mother will return to them a lot of times and so you know the it's not all always a good idea to automatically just kind of gather everything up that you find out there and so um but but yes um you know it, it would need to be somebody that had like a license to do rehabilitation or something like that to actually keep some of those kind of things you know for any length of time so. yeah i mean and, and it's also it's like we don't know what's going on and and squirrels just have survived in the wild for you know hundreds of years so it, 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 they kind of know what they're doing i guess they they do and they're they're very generally prolific at um maintaining themselves um you know when they've got everything they need they they have the ability to bounce back they're like a lot of the small smaller animals and you know their their lot in life is kind of being food for other things and so they do have uh you know a lot of a lot of predators and things that are out to out to eat them but for that reason they you know again they they do uh sustain themselves pretty well as far as making more so Okay, let's uh, stay on the phone lines off to Harrison County. This time, Jerry is on the line. Good morning, Jerry. It's your turn, so go ahead. Good morning. How are y'all? Good. What do you have for us today? Uh, I was wondering about the squirrel population today compared to 50, 60 years ago when I was growing up hunting squirrels in the 50s and 60s. I don't seem to see as many out in the woods. You see plenty in town. Uh, as an example, I've got a friend that manages about 600 acres and a lot of it is just in the beautiful bottomland hardwoods and we hardly ever see squirrels there anymore and it used to be just loaded with squirrels so how is the health of the squirrel population in general the gray squirrels are doing pretty well now we'll say this year um has probably been a a harder one for them because our hardwood mass crop uh, acorns especially have not been very good in a lot of parts of the state um, due to some of the just weather over the past year. So um, this will probably be a, a hard year for them in a lot of places. Um, and so, but overall, I mean, squirrel populations have generally been good. Um, you know, we have have ups and downs. That's um, that's not a, an uncommon thing. You know, they're they're going to have good years, bad years, um, and I, it can be very have a lot of variability locally you know i mean there may be some areas that that have a bad year and down the road there things may be better and so again it can be very variable even within a year and within a locality so um as far as the <clears throat> site you're dealing with you know it's hard hard to say exactly um you know i think there's a possibility maybe that there's just something there the habitat wise that might have been less attractive to them um you know a lot of people don't think about managing habitat for squirrels um and a lot of cases that's kind of kind of correct either you have trees or you don't uh in a lot of cases but um but there are still things that they might look for the gray squirrel in particular um what we see a lot of times now with um nice big mature hardwoods is there's there's really open and park-like under there and you know the gray squirrel may not feel quite as secure in that type of environment and so you know sometimes there may be some things as far as just like putting a tree down here and there putting a top down um to provide a little cover on the ground maybe to to put a little sunlight into a spot to get some little shrubby stuff kind of coming up again that's going to give them a little bit more feeling of security having some of that kind of structure um again that that may not be limiting in this situation but sometimes that's what we we see in some areas that there may be some little things that could be done to to enhance it and so um like a lot of things there may be some stuff around that property that's possibly influencing movements or or 
or just suitability of the, the surrounding area. And so it's hard to say exactly without kind of looking looking at a particular site. And so we'll mention that um, our agency does have private lands biologists and myself as well, and when needed, can, can go out and visit properties to look at specific things on the ground. And so that, you know, could be an option for something that's just really perplexing somebody. And, um, of course, would give us a better idea about... Um, you know, actually seeing seeing it, uh, evaluating the, the 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 habitat and that kind of thing as well, and so you know, it's, it's hard to to make a an assessment, you know, without seeing the place sometimes. But could be a number of little things there that could be influencing how that that property is viewed by squirrels. We got some calls to get to. Let's go to Raleigh this time. Scott has called in this morning. Go ahead, Scott. You're on the air with us. Yes, sir. My question is regarding the squirrels and the Mississippi Delta, the fox squirrels. Do they go through a molting phase where they'll actually change their fur color from gray and red into solid black? I am not aware of that being a thing. They do molt um, and replace their hairs through the year, but I am not aware of them you know, going from the, whatever color that they started out. That's when that's what they're going to stay is. Uh, the question originated because I have harvested squirrels over there that were partially black, partially gray and red, like they were in the process of going into a, a color change. I was just curious about that. Yeah, you could see a little variation there. I think you know. I think mostly they're going to kind of be whatever they are. And of course, they can potentially probably have some amount of you know multiple coloration. Um, typically, you're going to see. You know, one that's kind of its typical color. I mean, you see this with gray squirrels even. I mean, we do do see white white squirrels occasionally. A lot of people say they're albino, but they're not, not really albino. They're just a white. They're, they're, all their hair is white. <laughs> um, and so a lot of that's genetic expression type thing in their hair color. And so you could see that potentially, I guess, with any individual <clears throat> that could possibly have like a little bit of a mixture maybe. And so, um, but as far as one going from kind of, kind of shifting from red to, you know, all red, all black. You know, I don't, I don't think that's really anything that we would see, but I think you can definitely probably have some amount of variability there between individuals that could have maybe some different um, expression in that, that hair color and in and, and parts of their body. So that, that may be what we're seeing. All right, uh, Scott, uh, thanks for your call. Let's uh, stay on the phone lines. We're to Brandon next, and Robert has called in. More on squirrels chewing. Robert, what do you have for us? Well, uh First time caller, enjoy the program, but this concerns a lady about the uh, rats or uh, squirrels chewing the wild. My guess is it's probably rats or mice, but I've used the product for at least 12 to 15 years in two separate locations. In my last location now, there's a lot of squirrels, a lot of trees, and what I found that works extremely well and can be bought at any hardware store or local big box store, a product that I've described as a base pack. And it comes in a little pack, and more or less what it is is a, a dehydration food that they just love to eat. And I've never seen a, a squirrel chewing on it, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen out there where I parked my truck. But what I found is you can put that pack under your hood, under some wire in the corner somewhere where you can see it and just kind of keep an eye on it from time to time, as I do because I check my oil and stuff on my old truck, and it sits out there for two, three, four weeks at a time. 
And they'll eventually, I'll put some out there on the ground, too, and put a rock or something on so they just don't drag it off. But they'll start at one corner and chew it, and I'll come back and see it. But this product really forces them, after they've eaten enough of it, forces them to go seek water, and inevitably it kills them. And so I've put these packs in my garage where I can clearly see it, see if anything's been chewing on it and replacing it. But it's something you have to continually do when they continually eat it. But I've had no problems whatsoever with rats in my garage, in my truck, or anywhere else. And it seems to be controlling them extremely well. And I believe, like I said, it's going to be rats or mice doing the chewing, not squirrels. All right, uh, Robert, thanks for calling in this morning. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Rick, any thoughts on what Robert talk, talked about? Uh, yeah, I mean, it certainly could be something where you're having rats and mice. I've had um, them getting my vehicle as well, and it's, it's typically mice that will actually pick up the bird seed sometime. They'll have, happily stuff them in my air filter there <laughs> and uh, <laughs> where they've chewed around some of the, the parts of my air filter to kind of get up in that little compartment there. And so, so yeah, it definitely could be more of a rat and mice, maybe Sometimes maybe we, we see an animal around, we might mistake it for being the culprit when it's something else. But we'll just caution a little bit about what you're putting out there. I mean, putting out um, any kind of um, rodenticide for rats and mice, you know, there are certain ways you have to put it out at least, um, uh, you know, to be to be legal by federal law because that is stuff that is regulated with, with federal law when we're starting talking about pesticides and things like that. Now, what he was talking about there may not actually be a pesticide but um but just got to be cautious with some of those things as far as how you apply them and following the label and you know we, we if it's a label for rats and mice it's not technically for for squirrels and so you know most people aren't putting those out for squirrels and and sometimes you get things getting into them accidentally but then, those are those are cautious things that we've got to be be aware of you know how we're putting some of those things out um especially people's pets can get into them and that sort of thing so we've got to be real real cautious about what we're doing with um with some of the pesticides and things there so we'll just encourage folks to make sure you're following the 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 label and everything read the directions and do what Mm. it says yeah all right we got about two minutes left and time for one last call and it goes to george who calls in from braxton good morning george you're on the air with us so go ahead good morning how are you doing good what do you have for us today I just wanted to add a comment uh, concerning the uh, question the guy had from the Delta concerning the uh, changing of color from one yeah. color to the next. I'm from the Delta, and I spent all my childhood in the in the woods, and that does happen. It it, uh, it is true. I witnessed the same thing. All right. So yeah, I, I, nothing's never say anything's impossible. Hardly in nature, and so <laughs> you know, I'm I'm, I'm definitely not going to say it's impossible, but. Um, you know, possibly there is. I'm just I'm not real familiar with that that instance occurring. But and, and you explained too that there could possibly be. I guess if I don't know if interbreeding is the right word to use, but sort of nature taking its course and and, and having that happen. Yeah, there's there's just all kind of bizarre things that can that can go on sometimes. And so yeah, like I say, I'm never never say never. Hardly in uh, <laughs> things in nature. So. <clears throat> All right, uh, George. Thanks for the call. We got uh, Rick. We got about a minute left. If you would tell us briefly about squirrel hunting season. Okay. Yeah, we're um, we're kind of in the getting towards the end of squirrel season this year. As far as our, our fall season, we we start off uh, October first is when our kind of kickoff of the fall squirrel hunting seasons is um, going there. 
and it will go through February 28th. I believe we may be in a leap year this year. Um, so that's a question we're going to get a, a ton of during the leap year is <laughs> can we hunt on February 28th? And uh, unfortunately, no, um, because it is state law. It's in statute that the uh, squirrel season ends February 28th. And so that's what we're, what we're bound to. And so... Um, so we don't have any wiggle room on, on changing that because it is state statute. And so um, so that will be our ending date, will be February 28th. Um, then we have spring season, May 15th to June 1st. This is about 10 years old now. Um, that is something we added some opportunity in the springtime. Um, that's um, not as common maybe to folks to use, but it's another, another time that folks are able to get out in the early spring there. So. All right. We have run out of time. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. To hear today's show or a previous show, you can search for Creature Comforts on your favorite podcasting app or download the MPB Public Media app. Our show is produced and engineered today by Abram Nanny, and our call screener was Charles Arnold. So for Docs Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest Rick Hamrick, I'm Kevin Farrell. Stay tuned because up next, it's AutoCorrect with Coach Charlie Melton. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.